Open up your Bible this morning, your copy of God's Word, to Philippians 3, uh, beginning in verse 20, and we'll read through verse 21 this morning. Uh, Good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday to you. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Most of all, I'm glad that uh, we are worshiping a risen Savior and that we have an indestructible hope. So um, I've got these little booklets here. Let's see if any kids out there can tell me what these are right here. What are, what are these little things? Now, I asked for the kids, and all of a sudden I heard, I heard an older male voice coming from this section over here. All right, pass, passport, right. Okay, I know you guys still think of yourselves as kids. but uh, Yes, these are passports. Now, what's the purpose of a passport, kids, anyone? What's a passport for? Rowan. You can go places with it. Like what kind of places, Rowan? Like to the supermarket? To Honduras. To Honduras. All right. Yes, that's a very specific, specific example there. Yes. Okay. So, yes, you can go out of our country into another country, but you have to have one of these. Now, what does this prove to someone when you're in another country? That, okay, your, your citizenship, and there's no rules here, Ron, just yell it out, all right? Uh, your citizenship, it, sh- it proves what nation you belong to. And so, how many of you guys have, have a passport? You traveled overseas. A lot of you in here have a passport. You've, you've gone to another country, and and if you've been in another country, maybe on a mission trip or maybe for a long extended stay, they tell you to either keep a copy of your passport with you, not necessarily the original, but a copy or at least some sort of identification card that also has your passport number on it so that you can prove that you do belong to, to the United States. You're a citizen of the United States of America. And uh, in the passport, you know, they'll have a little picture. I won't show you any of those pictures. They have a little picture here of... Uh, of what my wife looked like when she was like 10. But uh, um, they have a little picture so that people know that's, that's you and you belong to the United States. But it also reminds you that you're not, you're not at home. The nation you're in is not your home. You actually represent another nation. You are part of, a, of another citizenship. And then it also does this. It gives you a certain amount of protection. When I lived in Ecuador, I had to have a passport, obviously. And I only remember a couple of times Ecuador was a relatively peaceful nation compared to some other nations. But, you know, we did have an attempted coup once. And I remember during that time of uncertainty, the, the embassy actually considering going ahead and evacuating out of the country until this coup was settled. And, uh, and encouraging all the citizens of the United States to consider leaving as well. So our mission board knew about this, and, and we had to have our documentation on us at all times during that time of uncertainty. And there were other times of uncertainty as well. I remember when the United States went in and took out Noriega in Panama. There was tremendous anti-American sentiment during that time. It was a time in Ecuador of, of tremendous uncertainty. There, people did not like gringos and uh, slurs, and we were called names and different things. It was a time of of uncertainty, and you were certainly glad at that time that I had one of these, that I belonged to a different nation. I say that all this morning to uh, uh, simply comment on the fact that we, we live in our world today in uncertain times, to say the least. Now, just this week, by picking up the newspaper or looking online, you could read that, that there's continuing instability in the global economy. You could have read about uh, terrorism that seems to continue to, to run rampant with 147 people killed just this last few days at a, Christian, uh, a bunch of Christians at a college in Kenya. Um, you could read about a, a senator being indicted on corruption charges. And uh, you could read about the Christian faith, Orthodox, Bible-believing Christianity, increasingly under attack and being portrayed as intolerant, narrow-minded, bigoted, or increasingly what the society is saying, it's even dangerous. That believing in the Bible is dangerous. And so certainly there's uncertainty all around us, and we live in uncertain times. And it's very easy to allow the cable news and the websites and the blogs and the 
the Facebook posts and the tweets and whatever else drive us to a place of frustration and fear. But that's when we need to pull out our passport. We need to pull out our passport and, and remind ourselves of who we really belong to and where our citizenship really is. And I'm not talking about our earthly passports. I'm talking about heavenly passports. You see, if you're a believer here this morning, if you're a Christian here this morning, then you have a unique and a better citizenship. It was purchased by Christ on a cross. It was confirmed by an empty tomb. And if you hold that heavenly passport, then you can't be a pessimist. Today's passage talks all about that citizenship and more. So please turn, if you haven't already, to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 20. And please stand now as we get ready to read. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. And we're just going to read verses 20 and 21. And this is the word of the Lord, and that is why we stand in the honor of reading it. The word of the Lord says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. And we thank you for the fact that those who are found in Christ, those who have put all of their hope, all of their trust, all of the weight of their entire being on Christ Jesus alone for their salvation. Father, those in here who have done that, we are part of a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly citizenship. So God, help us this morning to think about what the cross and the empty tomb has accomplished for us. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you. We ask that you give me the right words to say this morning and correct me of any error before it comes out of my mouth. And, Lord, give us all ears to hear. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When I did live in Ecuador, every 4th of July, we would gather at the American Embassy, and you had to have one of these to be able to go to the event that they had at the American Embassy. At the embassy on the 4th of July, they would have special uh, food. They would have all kinds of hot dogs, American food. They would have special events. And it was, a, it was a big, fun festival that the embassy would throw for all the American citizens living in Ecuador. It was a very special time. It was a fun time. But not everybody could go. You had to be an American citizen to be able to go to the embassy and enjoy the 4th of July celebrations. Today, as we gather... Here this morning, we're not celebrating the day of America's independence, but we're celebrating the day of our liberation from death and from sin, which is why we gather on Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And unlike the American Embassy, if you're not a believer here this morning, you're welcome. We want you to be here. We want you to hear the gospel this morning. Now, this great passage of Scripture is found in one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's Paul's epistle or Paul's letter to the Philippian church. In this letter, Paul is encouraging the believers to, to stand strong, to persevere. And he's also encouraging them to, to resist the divisions and, and dissensions that seem to be becoming evident in the church. He wants them to continue to trust in the Lord even when times are tough, when finances are lean. So he doesn't want them to give in to the temptation to be anxious about many different things, but instead to stand Strong And now to encourage them, Paul, in chapter 2, which we're not going to look at today, but in chapter 2, he gives them this glorious picture of the humiliation of Christ, where Christ came and, and was humiliated even to the point of death on the cross. He took on human flesh and died on the cross. And then he was subsequently exalted by God the Father, which included his resurrection. And so Paul gives us this rich theology in chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, Paul warns us, warns all of us not to put our hope in anything other than 
the risen Savior. There were false teachers that had come into the, the many different churches in that time, and they were trying to get the people to put their faith somewhere other than Christ, namely in doing certain things. And so Paul does not want the people at the church in Philippi to put their hope in anything other than the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why in verse 10 of chapter 3, he says he wants them to know him, know Christ, and the power of his resurrection. That's my desire this morning, is for us here this morning to know Christ more and to know the power of his resurrection. And so this morning, I want us to meditate on what the resurrection means for us now and for our future and for all eternity. So because of the empty tomb, here's your first point, because of the empty tomb, we abide in the present reality of a higher citizenship. Because of the empty tomb, we abide in the present reality of our higher citizenship. The Bible makes it very clear that those who are truly Christians are no longer citizens of this twisted and crooked world that we live in, but instead we are citizens of heaven. Now the word citizenship here is a very interesting word. It actually means capital or native city which keeps citizens on its registers. So it's kind of a word used for the city-state that was a common thing in that time. So it could actually be rendered commonwealth or even colony. In other words, we belong, if you're a Christian, we belong to the commonwealth of heaven or the colony of heaven. The word would have had much meaning to the immediate situation of the Philippian church because they lived in a city which was a Roman military colony. There were many uh, Roman citizens that lived there who were citizens of Rome and not necessarily citizens of Macedonia. They were citizens of Rome, and so they were part of the commonwealth of Rome even though they lived in Philippi, their current home. And so that's the picture that Paul wants us to have of, of our Christianity. We are, we are part of the colony of heaven. We are part of the city of God. A city, according to Hebrews 11.10, whose designer and builder is God. The Jerusalem of above, as Paul states in Galatians 4, 26. But we have not always been part of that kingdom. We were not always part of that city. Prior to Christ, we were all members of a rebellious kingdom, of a dark kingdom. We were once part of a dark nation, darker than North Korea. We were once part of a more evil nation than the Islamic State. For we were born into the enemy's camp. We were born into, by birth, we were born into Satan's kingdom. For we were all born under Adam's sin. Born fighting, rebelling against the king of the universe. Trying in vain to usurp his authority. And we deserved, because of that rebellion, because of that insurrection, we deserve the due penalty that, well, that insurrectionists get, which is death. Yet in God's amazing grace, he chose to reach out and offer divine amnesty to sinners like you and I. So Colossians 1 verses 13 through 14 says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. Christ delivering sinners from the domain of darkness to be members of the kingdom of his son. 1 Peter 2.9 puts it this way. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's the good news for all here this morning who are Christians. The king decided to show mercy, mercy to rebels, to traitors like us, and we did not deserve it. But he redeemed us for his own possession. He redeemed us as God sent his own son to pay the price, to take the sin of his people upon himself, bearing the wrath that his people deserved on that cursed cross. And then, rising from the dead... Jesus showed that the payment was sufficient, that the sacrifice was accepted, and now we're free. 
free from the curse of death that has been broken by Christ. And so we've acquired, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we have acquired a citizenship, and we've acquired it by faith. We believe with all our heart, in all of our being, we place upon that accomplishment of Christ at the cross and that resurrection from the tomb. And so Hebrews eleven thirteen, referring to those in the Old Testament that look forward to the, the sacrifice of the Messiah, it says this in Hebrews eleven thirteen: These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Did you hear that? People of faith know that this is not our home. They knew they were strangers and exiles on this earth. In verse 15, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. That's the glorious truth. The empty tomb means that we have a city. We have a homeland that belongs to us. And we're on our way there. We better not think that this is our homeland here. We better remember who we belong to. It should change the way we live. It's because of the empty tomb outside of Jerusalem that is still empty this day that we can claim this new citizenship. And it is an irrevocable citizenship. You guys know that I'm a soccer fan, and I grew up watching soccer and playing soccer and still try to follow soccer some, not as much as Noah does. He pays attention to it more than I do. And now when I was a, when I was a kid, guys, that, you know, they played for their club team, but they would also play for their national team. But the only people that could play for the national team were people that were born in the country that, where they played soccer. So if you were Ecuadorian, even if your club team was way over in England or something— you played for the Ecuadorian national team because you were born in Ecuador. But that's changed a lot uh, since I was a kid because our world has become more globalized and more mobile. And so people move all over the world now. And for example, the U.S. national soccer team has a bunch of guys on it that were born in Germany because we have a lot of servicemen over in Germany, okay? And so a lot of them have married, hopefully married, and had children. And therefore now we have guys that know how to play soccer better than American kids that grew up here. But they're American citizens because their dad or their mom was American, even though they were born on German soil. And so the conflict that happens to a lot of these guys that are born in a different country, uh, but then they, their parents are citizens of another country, is they had to make a decision. Which team am I going to play for? Because they have dual citizenship. Am I going to play for Germany or am I going to play for the United States? And, and used to, they had rules you could just change your mind. You know, play for Germany for a while and then, you know, well, if I'm not getting enough playing time, now I'm going to be on the American team because I know I can get playing time over there, okay? And that was sort of uh, the way it was, but the people that run soccer decided that that really wasn't fair, and so they made a rule a couple years ago, once you have played on the senior team for a, a country, once you've played for the team, it's locked. You can't change. It's solidified. It's done. You're part of that team. Okay, and it's a glorious thing to know that once Christ has put the colors on us, the team we belong to, our heavenly team, our heavenly citizenship, our heavenly country, it is locked in. It's irrevocable. We belong to the kingdom of heaven. So this should give us unshakable confidence during uncertain times. Luke chapter 12, verse 32 says, Fear not, little flock. Fear not, harbins. Fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And of that kingdom, Daniel chapter 2 says this, it's a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. It shall stand forever. Fear not the uncertainties of financially insecure times. Fear not the terror of jihadists. Fear not a corrupt government that bows to the whims of radical secularism. Fear not evil men who mock you, hate you, despise you because you stand on this book unashamedly. Fear not scoffers and violent men. Fear not those who want to shut you up and make you fall in line. Fear not those who drink the Kool-Aid of our age. Fear not for that kingdom, this kingdom right here is fading away and you belong to an unshakable eternal kingdom. Fear not. 
Our passport says, according to Ephesians 2.19, that we are fellow citizens with the saints. And, amazingly enough, you know what else our passport says? That we are members of the household of God. We are members of the household of God. It's one thing for rebels to be given amnesty and be allowed back in the king's country. But it's an even more shocking thing and an amazing thing to think that we are allowed not only back in the country, we are allowed to sit at the king's table as children. So imagine the whole passport illustration again. I'm sure Barack Obama's daughters have a passport. And I'm sure somewhere in that passport is some sort of indication that they are the daughters of the president. And I'm sure they get extradited through security. And their bags don't have to be checked like us puny people, us, right? I'm sure. Guess what, friends? Not only are you a citizen of heaven, you have a stamp in here that says, child of the king. Child of the king. So it's a glorious thing to think that we are not only citizens, we are Children, children of God, if, if you've placed all your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and you've turned from your sins. Romans 8, 31, and this should give us certainty during times of uncertainty. Romans 8, 31 says, what shall we say to these things? So think about these things that I've just said. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you see what the resurrection has secured for us? It's secured freedom from condemnation. Who's going to condemn us? Christ has risen. The tomb is empty. The sacrifice was accepted. What is man going to do to me now? He can kill me, but he can't revoke this. So we stand certain in the midst of uncertainty. But we must examine ourselves. Examine yourself this morning to make sure that you have the passport. 2 Peter 1.10 says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter had just given them several different qualities of what it means to be a Christian. So you need to examine your allegiances. Luke 1425 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You need to examine your allegiances. Who do you belong to? You need to examine your affections. Hebrews 12, 28 says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What are we doing here? Are we offering God acceptable worship with reverence and awe? Examine your affections. He is a consuming fire. Examine your aspirations. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Are you building your life around something that's going to just pass away into dust. What are you aspiring to? And examine your lifestyle. First Peter 2, 1 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Remember, we're exiles. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We live in uncertain times when we are spoken of as evildoers simply for believing and living according to this book right here. We are increasingly being called evildoers. So let us stand strong, stand firm. Let us 
press on, as Paul tells us to earlier in chapter 3, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let us not be like those who, according to verse 19, which precedes the verses we read today, let us not be like those whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, who glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Our minds, citizens of the kingdom, our minds aren't set on earthly things. They must be set on heavenly things. Colossians 3.1 If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What a beautiful passage. And with that, I want to move to our second point. You see, because we serve a risen king who is alive and who is going to return, not only can we abide in the present reality of our higher citizenship, because of the empty tomb, we affirm the future return of our living Lord. He is coming back, just as Colossians 1 verse 4 just said. He is returning, Philippians 3 again. Let's go back to our passage here, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. From it, we await the Savior. That is, from our citizenship, we, from that commonwealth, from the city of God, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem that we wait. We await with great confidence. Now, the verb here, the verb here to await is, is more than just sitting around and waiting. It's not like you're bored and you're sitting around, oh, I hope it happens sometime. The verb carries the idea of anticipation, eager anticipation. As one scholar said, it suggests a tiptoe anticipation and longing. What we wait for isn't uncertain. It's absolutely sure, and therefore we, we wait eagerly for the return of Christ. We're like little kids dancing on our tiptoes, waiting for Christ to return. I always remember, now this was pre-9-11, whenever we came home from the mission field, those little tubes that go out to the airplane so you can walk, you know, into the airport. You know, they hook those things up and we would, we would come off the airplane and we began to look. And of course, us little kids, we'd get up on, on our tiptoes and look. And what we were looking for, we were looking for our grandparents and our relatives who were going to be at the end of that tube. Because now you have to go through all the security and get all the way out. So it kind of dampens it now. But back then, it was exciting. The moment you got in that little tube, you knew. The moment I turned, I remember this so much as a kid, because the tubes always kind of turn. So you'd turn the corner, and you'd begin to look. And you're looking for, for me, it was Nanny and Papa and all of my friends. And you get on your tiptoes as, you, as you're going towards the end of that. That's the image here. That's who we are as Christians. We're looking, and we're looking, and we're looking, and we're hopping on our toes while we do it. We're looking in eager anticipation and excitement. He is coming back. Is that the way we live, though? We're so distracted by our, the place we're visiting, this world, that we forget to be excited about the king who's coming back. He already stamped on here that we're his children. He's coming back. He's coming back to take all those who are his to himself. And so we read in Acts 1, 11, when Jesus ascended to the Father, he's, after this the angels are there and the disciples are all looking up in heaven. And they're looking there and they're staring. And, and here the angel appears and he says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back. The great thing about that passage, though, is the angel doesn't tell them anything that should make them stop looking into the sky. They're looking into the sky, and he says, oh, why are you looking at heaven? Don't you know he's coming back? To which the disciples probably should have said, well, then I'm going to keep looking. The angel's point was, get busy. Get busy. He's coming back. Eagerly anticipate his return, but in the meantime, live for the king on this planet. Live for the king in this world. And share with people the glorious news that the king is offering amnesty to rebels like you and me. Revelation 1-7 says that that day 
will be like this. It says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Amen. And yes, so we are almost giddy as we await. We are happy because we await a Savior. The text says we await a Savior. If we are Christians, then we are awaiting the one who has already saved us, yet who is coming to save us. We await final salvation, salvation from this sinful world and from these sinful bodies. Yet we experienced final salvation from the due penalty of our sin on the cross, from the wrath of God. We've been saved from the wrath of God, and now we wait to be saved from these bodies. Hebrews 9, 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. That's done. That's done. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Oh, how I love the the already not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. We are already citizens, but we are not yet home. We are already saved, yet we are being saved, according to the scriptures. And we read in Hebrews 9.28 that we are already saved, yet we await final salvation. Our Savior has already appeared, yet here in the text he is yet to appear. And so Christians, we are to, to already now live like citizens of heaven, citizens of a different kingdom, even though we have not yet fully experienced it. So it is because of an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem that we will one day experience it. And we read in 1 Thessalonians 9 Chapter 1, verse 9, it says, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So we wait eagerly for the day because our slate has been wiped clean. We don't fear the wrath to come. If you're a Christian, you don't fear the wrath to come because your wrath was dealt with on the cross. And so we wait for that. We want that great day to come. It was reminding me of thinking about our, our slate being washed clean. It reminded me of a story of, a, of some missionaries we knew also in Ecuador. And they were missionaries when we met them. But previously, earlier in their life, they had lived a pretty raunchy and, and bad life. They lived in Ecuador and the, the husband had been involved in all kinds of drugs, drug dealing and different things. And Ecuador is very strict on drug dealers. And he was thrown in jail for life because of his drug dealing. And his wife was expelled from the country. They put something in her passport that says she could never come back. She could never come back. And that was their sentence. She was expelled and he was jailed. But when she was in the United States, she became a Christian. And she wanted to go back and desperately share the gospel with her husband. Now, you can argue about whether or not the ethics of this is right or not. But here's what she did. She took her passport and she washed it. She put it in her, the, the clothes, and she put the clothes in the washer and washed it. And when it came out, guess what? That stamp that says she was expelled was washed away. It was gone. And so she went back into the country. They didn't see the stamp anymore. They actually gave her a new passport because the other one had been messed up so bad. She went back into the country. She shared the gospel with her husband, had some churches there help intercede and work, and they eventually got out. They became missionaries. As far as I know, they're still missionaries in Ecuador to this day. But her passport had something on it that said she did not belong back in Ecuador. And that was washed away. And that was the case for each and every one of us in here who are believers as well. We were expelled from the kingdom of God. But by the blood of Christ, that stamp of expulsion has been wiped away. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." And so we live differently now because we've been redeemed and because we are in a new kingdom and because we await our Savior. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord 
Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Be encouraged, friends, this morning in the midst of uncertainty. But if you're not a Christian here this morning, there is no encouragement for you yet. I beg you to be reconciled to God, to surrender your life, to surrender yourself from warring against God and turn to him. For he is holding out to you an offer of amnesty, but he will not hold out that offer forever. For if Christ returns and you are still at war with him, if Christ returns and you are still at war with him, it'll be a day of dread for you. Matthew 16, verse 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Oh, friends, you need a new passport. You need a passport stamped with the blood of Jesus that says redeemed, reconciled, rescued, and renewed. And so the next thing I want us to see this morning is because of an empty tomb, number three, we anticipate the future receiving of our glorified bodies. Because of an empty tomb, we know we're getting better bodies. There are some that can't be here this morning because their bodies won't allow them to be here. We have glorious hope that we will receive new bodies. It says here, in verse 21, it says, Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body? He will transform our lowly bodies, our bodies that are now wasting away, our weak bodies, our sin-ridden bodies, our bodies that are under a curse. These bodies are wasting away. I don't know about you, but I'm reminded of it every time I look in the mirror. These bodies are wasting away. I'm not getting any better. Because... These bodies are under a curse. Romans 7, 24, Paul, speaking about his body of sin, he says this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? These bodies were brought forth from dust, and when mankind fell in Adam, God pronounced a judicial sentence upon all of us. Genesis three nineteen says, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. These bodies are on a journey to return to dust. And if that's depressing to you this morning, that may be a sign that something's wrong. I know my body's returning to dust, but guess what? I'm not depressed by that because I know, I know I'm getting a new body that will never turn to dust. And so from the moment we're born, we struggle with these sinful, corruptible bodies. Yet for kingdom citizens, we know this, 2 Corinthians 5.1, for we know that if The tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, and it's referring to the body. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. It is because of the empty tomb outside of Jerusalem that we know we will have new, better bodies. I want to read this passage of Scripture to you from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15 says, What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised in spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Do you understand one of the things being taught in that passage is that we will receive better bodies than Adam had even before the fall? We'll receive better bodies than Adam had even before the fall. It's an amazing thing. It's a spiritual body, yet it is also a physical body. We will receive physical bodies because Jesus has a physical body, according to what we read right here. The Word actually became flesh, a real baby that really grew. 
He had a real body that got really tired. He ate real food. He had real feet. And he had real hair that was anointed by Mary. He had real skin that was really torn by a crown of thorns. He had real bones that were yanked out of joint. His real back was thrashed by the cat of nine tails. His real palms were pierced by real nails. Real agony, real pain from a real body. A body that really died. A real sacrifice for real sins. And that real body was taken down off the cross and laid in a real tomb sealed by a really big rock. And then that real body woke up. That real body shed real grave clothes. That real body really walked out of that grave. And then Jesus in his real and glorified body appeared to Mary and then Peter and then John and the disciples and James and 500 other people. And then that real body really ascended through real clouds. And now, really, physically, sits at the side, at the right side of the Father. Jesus is with the Father right now with a body. He has a body right now. He will eternally have a real body. Isn't that what he went out of his way to show his disciples after the resurrection? He wanted them to know this wasn't just some sort of spiritual vision they were having. It was his real body that was risen from the grave. Luke 24, verse 39, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And when they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And so too, friends, we will have real bodies given new bodies like his. When he returns, he will give us new, perfect, physical, glorified bodies. Heaven is not going to be some ethereal cloud where we, we, we exist as disembodied souls. No, he secured that we will get a physical body. One that we won't be ashamed to look in the mirror at. One that will no longer get sick. So we are not defeated, friends. We are not defeated by the uncertainty of depression and the uncertainty of disease and the uncertainties of disfigurement and the uncertainties of disabilities. No, these things are but mere groanings as we wait because Romans 8.23 says that we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It is because of an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem that we are guaranteed new bodies. So as you think about a passport again, there is a real picture in here of a real person that had a real body. It's the same for us in our passport. We're getting new bodies. Bodies that won't ever fade away. 1 Corinthians 15, again, earlier in that passage, it says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by man death came, by a man has also come resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that brings me to my last point today. Because of an empty tomb, we attest to the eternal reign of our victorious king. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And here's how he's going to transform our lowly bodies. By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Easter is a time when we remember that Jesus reigns, and in his reigning power he guarantees us these bodies we've been talking about. He reigns for a couple of reasons. First of all, because... He is creator. He reigns because he is the creator and he has the right to rule. He has creator rights. John 1 verse 1 says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. 
Colossians 16, verse 7 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the creator and the sustainer. He is the mighty lion who rules. So he has creator rights to rule. Yet he wasn't only a lion. He isn't only a lion. He's also a lamb. He's the lamb that died. He not only has creator rights, he also has redeemer rights. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then later we read this in Hebrews 1 verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus has creator rights to rule and he has redeemer rights to rule. Hebrews 2.9 But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So he was the lamb who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because the Lamb was slain, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So yes, friends, this should be a great source of confidence for us during uncertain times. Ultimately, the elitist secularist won't rule. ISIS won't rule. Republicans won't rule. Democrats won't rule. Because there is an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem that is empty this day, Jesus rules and will always rule. He is the ruler and rightful king. Romans 1, 4 says that he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says that God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what does that mean for us Christians this morning? It should change the way we live. If Jesus has all authority on heaven and on earth, it should change the way we live. Is that right? How should it change the way we live? Let me give you three verses that tell you how it changes the way we live. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. The empty cross guarantees the great commission. The empty tomb guarantees the great commission. So go do it. Why do we sit around and cower in fear in front of people that will never rule over us? What's holding us back? We certainly can't let uncertain times hold us back. So this morning I want to conclude by just asking you to look at the passport of your heart. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of Christ? Has your way, your way to heaven, been stamped by the blood of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life? Do you serve him now as Lord and King, knowing that, he, that this is not your home? Do you look for him? Do you look for the day he returns with great joy? Do you look for the day that your body will be made like his? Do you know that he is king and that he reigns now and that he's coming back to bring final judgment on all who remain in the kingdom of darkness? So if you're not a Christian here this morning, you cannot stand with the great confidence and assurance that I'm encouraging all the Christians to stand with this morning. But Christians, do not be shaken. Do not be fearful. Do not be anxious. 
for you belong to the king of kings and his kingdom. So let us obey the very next verse that comes after this one. Philippians 4, verse 1. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. These are uncertain times, but stand firm in the Lord, friends, beloved, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that our hope alone would be in Christ alone. Lord, if there be anyone here this morning that is putting their hope in the fact that they're here on Easter Sunday, that somehow this has merited favor with you. As I was reminded this morning, we are told in the scripture not to esteem one day above another. No day makes a difference. So, Father, I pray that you'd help them see that. Being here on a day has not guaranteed anything for them. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd help them see if they don't have their passport stamped by the blood of Jesus, they stand condemned. They are under an evil army, under a flag, a black flag much more wicked than the flag of ISIS. And they are rebelling against the king of the universe. What they need this morning isn't to sit in a seat on a special Sunday. What they need this morning is to repent of their sins. So God, I pray that you would cause them to repent, to turn from their sin, to turn from their wickedness, and turn to Christ Jesus alone for the only hope of salvation. Oh, Father, my words can't make that happen. Only the Holy Spirit can make that happen. So Father, I pray the Spirit would take what words I have spoken accurately Get rid of the words I've spoken inaccurately and cause it to do a miraculous new birthing work in the heart this morning. Lord, I beg you to take stony hearts this morning that are in some of the chests of the people in this room and turn them into hearts of flesh. Hearts that now want to repent. Hearts that now want to serve. That want a new king. That want to be in a new kingdom. So God, I pray that you would do that this morning. And for those in here who like myself, get wrapped up in everything that's going on in our world. The latest news headline that upsets us. Lord, help us not to be wishy-washy people in the midst of uncertain times. Help myself and all of us in here who are believers to stand strong in the rock-solid confidence that we belong to you. And this is not our home. And so we will stand unashamedly on the Bible, believe every word of it, Preach every word of it. And if they kill us, we get to walk through the pearly gates just a little bit earlier. So, Father, help us to have that confidence. And Lord, we look forward to the day you return, Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. We can't wait to see the day that you return. We can't wait to have these bodies changed in an instant. So God, we ask that you would come. Jesus, come. But until you come, let us be obedient. Let us go into all the nations and preach the gospel, starting in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and then going out from there. So God, we ask that you would do these works in our hearts this morning as we respond in song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.